That's verse 4 of 1 John chapter 1. That is the thesis statement of the whole book. In other words, John is recording for us principles of life that our joy may be full. That's not the target that I'm going for this morning. There's always great danger in trying to make a passage say what I want it to say instead of the passage saying what it does say. So I'm putting you on fair warning right now. I'm not attempting to speak heresy, but I am trying to at least complete a thought that I had two weeks ago on how do we create a community of care at Grace Community Church. In this passage, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 2, I believe gives us three things that we need to be made aware of in order that we can create a community of care. I began your study guide there with a statement that comes from one of our very core values here at Grace Community Church when we speak of fellowship. We say fellowship is valuing the need of every believer, united in spirit, for the purpose, and here's the intent, for the purpose of cultivating intentional, if you will, love for one another that reflects the love Christ has for us. Cultivating intentional love, building a community of care. Just so that I do not speak of heresy, we need to pray to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Father, the passage this morning will take on a, a different view than maybe we have been heard or have been taught previously in our life. But there's valuableness here. If we at Grace Community Church desire to cultivate intentional love one for another, a community of care, then there are principles here that we need to adhere to. I don't wish to speak of myself. I only want to speak of you. So Lord, I need your thoughts. I have some scribblings on a piece of paper, but I need Holy Spirit for you to teach us all things and reveal all things whatsoever the Lord has told us. So those things I lack, I pray, O oh God, that you would fulfill. May my weaknesses be your strengths. And may our hearts be that, O oh Lord God, which would be molded by you, that we would be changed even more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we continue to lift up to you our concerns, our prayer requests,
I pray, O oh God, that you would continue to minister to the wiser family and, and through their time of loss, thanking you that even in the midst of what seems to be a dark storm, yet there's always your presence. Such a dynamic is that, that your word alone, peace, be still. That which can calm the raging sea can also bring calmness to the depths of our hearts. I pray for the family. I pray, O oh God, for Deb and her boys. I ask, O oh Heavenly Father, that you would strengthen them that you would bless them and in their moments of when all of a sudden they enter the house for one of the first times and Randy is not there, I pray, O oh God, that they would sense your presence. The first holiday that they celebrate together and Randy is not there, I pray, O oh God, that they would sense your presence. I pray, Father, that you would bless them even beyond what we can imagine or think. For those, O oh Lord, of our congregation who could not be here because of illnesses, I again ask, O oh Lord, that your hand of healing would come upon them. I pray a touch from your throne would be that which would lift them from their bed of affliction. Thank you, God, for allowing us this morning to see your presence even as we came walking into church today. You've given us liquid sunshine, replenishing the earth again. And I pray, O oh God, that we would rejoice, for this is a day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. May the words of our mouths, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, my Redeemer. For it is in your precious name we pray. Amen. My wife and I would like to thank you for your prayer, for your calls, for your concern for our daughter, Stephanie. It was about a week ago that she went to the surgeon and they were able to remove the uh, drainage tube there does not seem to be any more cysts which we're thankful for she is not experiencing any great amount of pain though even beginning I believe it was on Friday she contracted a high fever and that was a blessing that was given to her from one of her daughters from school and it wasn't anything that the doctor was overly uh, excited about. He said it was viral and it just has to run its course. So she's doing well. She will need to be on antibiotic yet until the 18th of this month. That which she gives to herself three times a day through a pick line. And, and so she is handling things well. And we thank you for your prayers. After the 18th, she will go back to the surgeon and then they will determine if 
they do or maybe they don't have to do surgery. So we just have to wait and see. She's rejoicing in the fact that she can eat potatoes, and so is Nolan, as now he has another market for his great wares. But she's excited, and so are we. So thank you so much for your prayers. This morning, I want to at least take this passage of 1 John, and just for this week, and again, as I said earlier, I just want to try to complete a thought of what can we be doing here even better at Grace Community Church to bring about a community of care. It's developing or cultivating intentional love for one another. And as I went to this passage, I was made aware of three things. In order for Grace Community Church to pursue what we call developing a more intent, cultivating an intentional love, a community of care, the first thing we need to remember that it's always directed by God. It's directed by the Master. Our vision statement that we have, which is uniquely balancing grace and truth while reflecting our God-given light, we don't highlight those things lightly. It's a combination, it's balancing grace and truth. Leaning too far on either side of that can cause problems in a church. So it's our desire that we balance those distinctly. And recognizing first that whatever we do here must be directed by the master. Let me read for you the first four verses of this chapter and then make a few comments concerning its content. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The first thing that I see as we look at this directed by the master is this, is a proper view of God always will determine how we live our life. Let me give that to you one more time. A proper view of God will always lead you into a proper living life as a believer. There are usually four main thoughts of who God is. Some of them you have heard, I'm sure, in the past. But let me just remind you of the four main ones. Now, the first one is this, is if you, if you pray hard enough, whatever you pray for, God will give you. I have yet to see a 1968 Corvette in my driveway. But I do have five of them sitting on my bookshelf. But the thought that we can just begin to pray to God and whatever we ask of him, 
he will give to us, no matter what. When someone came in this morning and reminded me that this person's prayer was that the Lord would take away the humidity. And he did. But he's increased it to 100%. That can be a wrong view because aren't there times there are people that we think that what we're praying for is what God should give to us. And when he doesn't, what does that do for us? The second view, I believe, the incorrect view, is that if we give enough money to ministry, we'll become wealthy ourselves. And that particular thought is promulgated, if you will, by a, a number of what I would say misguided individuals. Let me let you in on a little secret. God doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and if he needs something, he'll just sell one of them. He doesn't need your money. What he does need from you, though, is your adoration and praise as you give to him, for he alone is worthy. Individuals that promulgate that you just send us enough money, or at least they say, send your money to God, and that they always give you their address. I've never yet quite figured that out. But anyway, that is another wrong view of God. Another view of God is this, is that no matter what happens to you, you're just supposed to stand and say, praise the Lord. Well, there are some principles of that that I would agree with. But it's pretty difficult, even this past Thursday, when a wife has had to say so long to her husband. Going up to her and say, just praise the Lord, doesn't ring too loudly. God comforts us in our time of sorrow. Yes, there are things that obviously we should praise the Lord for. There are things obviously that we should pray for. There are things obviously that we should give to. But any wrong view of that distorts how we live. So a proper view of who God is will determine the way we live. And I think in the first four verses, the Apostle John is setting for us a view of who God is. The view is this, that God is a very personal God and our Savior is a very personal Savior. He picks that up, I believe, from his earlier letter that he wrote in the Gospels. In chapter 3 and verse 16, when he says that God so loved the world that he gave. He describes it a little bit different here as he talks about that which we have heard, that which we have seen. Our hands have handled the word of life. And this life was manifested to us. In other words, dear people, if it wasn't for God coming in on the scene of mankind, mankind would not be seen. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
from the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, 1, all through the last verse of Revelation 22. It's all about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And any misguidance of that causes us in our lives to live a way that's contrary to who he is. And so John is setting the stage here as he's describing this very personal God who sent to us a very personal Savior for two purposes. Then he says in verse 4, that our joy may be full. Our God is our fullness. Paul says it a little bit differently in the book of Philippians when he describes Jesus as being the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What that tells me, with God being our fullness, we don't need any other thing or person. For he is our all in all. All of creation depicts his character. All that he did for us on Calvary gives to us eternal life. He is our fullness. And there's nothing that needs to be added to him. Nothing can be taken away from him. All he asks us to do is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. Why? Paul says that's our reasonable service. That's the least we can do for all that he has done for us. He is our fullness. I, I trust that you would mark a few things on your study guide to remind you of what God has done for you. Let your mind just begin to absorb his goodness and his grace even this morning. All of you, probably the first thing you would write is, he sent his son for me. Some of you should include the fact that just have the health of today to be here. The blessing of being renewed last night, no matter how many hours of sleep you were able to get, you were being refreshed and you are being protected by God. He's our fullness. He's all that we need. Because quite frankly, dear people, he's all that we have. Not only is he our fullness, but he is also our joy. He's our joy. I become weary. <laughs> I become weary when I hear of Believer people talking about, oh, we just want to be happy. There's no place in Scripture where that is. God has one thing in mind for us, and that is to be holy. Be holy. Happiness is a, just a moment of time in the midst of pleasant circumstances. But when those circumstances are no longer pleasant, 
Does that change your view of who God is? He's our joy. There's a great little song that I learned a number of years ago that goes something like this. Jesus other than you. Jesus others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. J is for Jesus for he has first place. O is for others we meet face to face. Y is for you and whatever you do, put yourself third. That spells joy. He is our joy. Verses that come to mind in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 where where it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He is our joy. Do you know that we can be joyful in the midst of rain? This hasn't spoiled our day. At least it hasn't spoiled my day. Come about 1230, I'll be in my easy chair and I'll be doing a scientific experiment. I'm making sure that there's no light gets in through my eyes when I'm taking a nap. It takes about a three-hour experiment, but I think I can handle it. Circumstances don't depict our joy. Jesus Christ does. And so when the Apostle John is writing here for us in, in 1 John chapter 1, 1 to 4, he's reminding us of the proper, if you will, view of who God is. He's very personal. He's engaged himself in our lives. He is our fullness and he is our joy. So that's the first thing. It's, it must be directed A community of care must be directed by the master. Secondly, it has to be dedicated to the message of the master. Dedicated to the message. The one thing that we we dare not cause ourselves to lose sight of is the integrity of the word of God. We need to be dedicated to the message. Methods change, but the message never does. The message is highlighted, first of all, in verse 5 when John writes, And this is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare it, we preach it to you, that in him is no darkness. It's an emphatic in the Greek. In other words, it literally should be translated, in him is no darkness, no, no darkness at all. We need to be dedicated to that particular message. So that in order to care properly as a community to cultivate intentional love, It's not a love that is based upon feelings. It is a love that's based upon the message of Jesus Christ. It's the kind of love that God has for us. It's a love that goes beyond boundaries. It's a kind of love that is described for us 
And that verse I quoted earlier that the Apostle John wrote that God so loved the world. He willingly gave of himself for the purpose of establishing his message, which is, and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We're dedicated to the message and in a world that needs that, I can't see it of any greater than it is today. Truth is being twisted, if you will, to quote a, a line from the, the movie of uh, Star Wars, The Return of the Jedi, when Luke finally found out that his dad was the bad guy. He said to Obi-Wan, why didn't you tell me the truth? And Obi-Wan's words to him were, well, truth is susceptible to your sight. How you want to have it done. That's not what the word of God says. John 17 Jesus says to the God his Father, as he's praying, sanctify them by thy truth. Your word, because your word is true. It's truth. So we're dedicated to the message. Because our message speaks of the nature of God and who he is. And what he has done for us. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. There's no greater message than that. But what we have from verse 6 down through the end of verse chapter 1 are our message speaks to the questions of sin. There are three statements that are sent here. Let me remind you of what they are. The first statement is in verse 6, where it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we say. I guess the question arises is, have you ever heard that statement before? You, you have. You, you just don't know. You ask people, have you ever trusted Christ? And you say, oh, yes, yes, I have. Then how is it that you can justify doing this? They may have very well trusted Christ. But the fact of it is, is they say that we're walking in fellowship with God and, they, and they're walk in darkness the truth is not they're not living out the truth doesn't mean they've lost their salvation the fact of it is is they're they're not being they're not doing whom they should do and as a community of care shouldn't we be warning our own people about the situation shouldn't be we loving them enough to come up to them and say look brother or sister that's probably not a good thing to be doing we're warned, even as 
we are told in, in, in the book of James and also in, in, in Peter that when we see a brother or sister walking in sin, we should go and, and rescue them. We should be doing those things. The second question is just as interesting, for it says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you don't practice the truth and, and the truth is not in you. We, we begin to categorize our sin, don't we? Well, if you do this, that's really bad. But if you just do this, it's, it's okay. It's all right. Do you know that gossip is just as sinful as it is pulling the trigger and killing somebody? Do you know that harboring hard feelings against somebody, unforgiveness, is just as bad? In fact, it can even be equated to wanting to kill that person. We categorize our, our sin. And to be a community of care, shouldn't we be interested in, in helping individuals who struggle in those areas? Verse 10 is so wonderful. Verse 10 is for believer people. If we confess our sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a remedy. And the last question of verse 10 is this, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. We don't practice the truth. The truth is not in us. Now his word is not in us. The last one is the, the thought process, if you will, of what my wife and I grew up with. We, we had this wonderful senior saint who literally believed that she was at that point in her life that she no longer was a sinner, that she was perfect. We called her Grandma Neff. I don't doubt the fact that she was a believer, in fact, the first time when she left this earth and opened her eyes in glory, she realized for the first time in her life that what she held to was wrong. And as a community of care, we need to be watching out and helping these individuals. Because not only does our message speak to the questions of sin, but our message speaks to the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness. Steve Green, who I tried my best through seminary to try to emanate in singing. He sings a song, recorded a song that's entitled, the, Come Let Us Pour the Oil, Let Us Bind the Hurt. And he closes that particular phrase by saying, don't let another wounded soldier die. As a care of community, we are to be about 
binding hurts. Pour in the oil of God's grace and his love and his mercy and his word and the individual's lives so that those individuals don't die and become useless in the hands of God. To be a, a community of care is first directed by the master, second dedicated to the message, and thirdly is concerned for the masses. Concerned for the masses. Paul continues to write in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. Now, he's not talking about sinless perfection. What he's talking about is don't intentionally practice sin. Now, I expect a large amen from all of you. You're all perfect. At least you're working toward that. Amen? We still, as I say to my children, I still mess up. Just because it says lead pastor on my office door, I could probably lead a lot of you the wrong way. We mess up. We do. But it's not something that I relish to continually practice. There are things that I used to practice that I don't find any usefulness in them anymore. Let me let you in on a little secret. I used to have a motorcycle. I still have my motorcycle license. I used to race people home from work at midnight. And I would beat them. I knew where the Mohawk police were at midnight. And I knew how fast I could go. And I did. I'd have a song going on in my mind. This is before Christ, by the way. Something that would be recorded by Led Zeppelin. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Can I get an amen from those my same age? And that song would be in my mind, and the RPMs would be going up, and the speedometer would be going up, and I'd be flying. God gave me a bad back, so I can't ride that anymore. I used to have a snowmobile that over the top of the snow, I've been clocked at doing 80 miles an hour. Yeah, it was a fast machine. God gave me bad hips. I couldn't ride it anymore. In other words, there were times in my life that I intentionally practiced sin with the intent Almost the intent of seeing how far could I push the hand of God. 
until one day, gloriously, he got my attention. In New York State, we have a state, we have a, uh, a statement that if you want a cow's attention, you write the message on the brick and then you hit him in the head with it. God hit me in the head one day. And it was because of an individual that came into my living room and confronted me as a brother in Christ confronted me. It was from that moment on that I purposed with my whole heart to follow after the things of Christ. Do I still sin? Yes, I do. I get angry. I get frustrated. I get short-tempered. But God is still working on me. And it's not something I wish to dwell in, but I need to be real with you people this morning because you're all like me. We have our shortcomings. But it's nothing that we should continue to practice or determine to practice. John wrote these things so that we don't continue to practice it, but he gives us an out, a spiritual out, because he says, well, but just in case you do, you, it says in verse 2, and if, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Just in case you do, you have a lawyer who will come alongside of you and say to the God, the Father, Father, forgive them for I already have. They're mine. He is our advocate. But where it comes in really great for the masses is this. In verse 2, And he himself is our propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Let me ask you a question. Do different colored hair people bother you? <laughs> well, thank the Lord that there is someone who is uh, truthful. What if a different colored hair person would come, and I'm talking colors that just aren't natural. You all know what I'm talking about. God never created anybody with purple hair. <laughs> or dark green hair. But what would you do if they came in and sat down next to you at church? What's your first response? I'm going to give them some room. I'm going to move over. And we go the wrong way when we should move over toward them and say, it's great to see you today. What about individuals that have piercings in places that you don't even want to know? And they come walking into Grace Community Church and they sit down next to you. My first inclination, my first question might very well be, did that hurt? 
And did that hurt? Because I want to tell you about someone who was pierced for you that you don't know yet. His name was Jesus. And he even keeps and he carries those piercings even today. And he loves you that much. How about individuals that got tattoos in places you don't even want to know? And they come and sit next to you. Again, my first question is this. Did that hurt when they did that? Because I want to tell you about someone who was branded for you from the time he stepped on this earth that the intent was that he was going to die for you. Why can we do that? Because Jesus Christ is the propitiation of sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation literally means satisfaction. God was satisfied with what Jesus Christ did. And his payment was enough. And it's available to anyone to anybody, whether different hair, different piercings, or different color on their skin, we need to be, if you will, have compassion and concern for the masses of people. First, we live a life as a child of God And lastly, we share our life for the purpose of reaching the lost. That's what develops a community of care, a community that is purposeful, cultivating relational love to individuals, no matter who they are, not only in our church, but in our workplace, in our community. That's what makes, that's how you develop a community of care directed by God, yes, dedicated to the message, yes, but concerned for the masses. That's who we need to be. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you. Many times in scriptures we are called by the Apostle Paul that he reminds us of who we once were. But he then he victoriously tells us of who we are now. And that is our testimony. Our testimony is that we have been set free by the very preciousness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we hear at Grace Community Church as we uniquely balance grace and truth while reflecting our God-given light, may we purposely and purposeful desire to cultivate relational love for one another and for our community. We do this, O Lord God, because that's what you've done for us. You purposely cultivated this love relationship that we have with you.
May we duplicate that in every day of our lives for your glory. And I'll thank you in your name.